Welcome back to Cheap Seats Chatter, and today we have a special edition of the award show. Obviously, the Rookie of the Year has been stated. Congrats to you, Alex. I know your baby boy won one. Uh, he's much boy. deserving. <laughs> but we'll uh, we'll get we'll get to that. Uh, but first off, I, I want to start off by saying how are all all of you guys doing? It's been kind of a, a wild two weeks, few weeks, I guess I should say. It's been insane, but you know we're just making it through, getting through, uh, having the awards, something, having the awards, and having the hot stove league. Always fun to, even though we're in the off season, as they say, there is no off season for us. No, we just gotta keep going. Yeah, doing well here too. The weather's been very nice in uh, the PA area the last couple of days. I'm sure for Mac, it's probably been pretty nice. Yeah, in New York. yeah it has been. Close. Yeah. Where we're going to get rain the next couple of days, but then it's going to be nice again. So uh, it's been very nice in this area. We might have, because people love to just park themselves and talk in the middle of my street. My co-host, my dog, Kyla, chipped in a couple of times today since it's 310 and people just love parking themselves. And they're on my street to have a whole conversation as they hear a dog profusely barking at them. So. <laughs> Mac, how's, uh, how's New York life treating you, man? It's it's good, you know. Uh, like uh, Joe said, it's pretty nice outside. I could use more of this weather year round, you know. Um, I, I I embrace this type of weather, and uh, I really could use more of it. Um, you know, cold months are coming up, so you know, just gotta gotta take it in while you have it. Yeah, even for me out in Milwaukee, we kind of had this weird hot stretch, especially off the lake. It gets pretty cold quick, so I'm I'm kind of expecting that soon. Uh, but uh, one guy that's not doing so well, it sounds like we're all doing pretty well, is Tony La Russa. Uh, Tony La Russa was charged on a, uh, another DUI, and uh, when he was under the uh, oppression of the officer, the arresting officer came up to him and La Russa said, do you see my ring? I'm a Hall of Famer baseball person. I'm legit. I'm a Hall of Famer, brother. Now, obviously, the signing and hiring of Tony La Russa to the White Sox organization was in question immediately. Jerry Reinsdorf is a buddy of his. It seemed like they were in kind of cahoots. A.J. Hinch was out there. There are many other names out there, and they took a guy that has kind of an old baseball feel, and the, and the game's translating to uh, more analytically, statistics-wise. Now, Mac, I know you've been pretty outspoken to this in our group chat. Um, I'm going to let you open up. What are your thoughts on, on Tony La Russa and all the trouble that surrounded him? Well, this is a terrible look for the White Sox organization, I think. Like, first of all, like you mentioned, I mean, this, I immediately thought this was the wrong hiring. I mean, Larusa basically is everything that the White Sox current roster is not. Like, he, the White Sox have a very young and energetic roster. And, you know, I get Larusa has a great past. Obviously, he's in the Hall of Fame, but, you know, he's an old school guy. So I didn't like that hiring. But then you have this, which, keep in mind, this arrest happened back in February. And the White Sox knew about the incident. And need I mention that this is not LaRusso's first DUI arrest. Like, that is a terrible look that they are just letting it slide. And also, I mean, LaRusso literally has managed a player who got killed in a, D in a drunk driving accident back in 2007. Uh, Josh Hancock was killed in a, an accident where his blood alcohol content was... 0.157, which is way over the legal limit. I mean, it's like he's not learning anything, and the, the organization hasn't. I mean, we've seen an incident like this in the past with Wally Backman when the Diamondbacks hired him. 
But then after a DUI arrest, he got fired four days after and never even managed a game. I think that if the White Sox really want to amend their image right now, they would at least discipline LaRusa in some way, if not just fire him on the spot. Uh, very, very much so agree. Um, he's obviously a little bit more... Uh, I don't understand the fit at all. You said it, White Sox are getting younger, but does this give the White Sox grounds to fire him? Do you think Ryan's door? I mean, obviously you want it, Mac, but does this really give them grounds to do so? It sounded like they already knew about it when they hired him. Um, it just, I don't know what the White Sox should do. Alex, Joe, you guys got any on this? I personally uh, don't think Jerry's going to fire him just because he said in the past my biggest mistake in my baseball career as an owner was getting rid of Tony La Russa when he did that years ago uh, when he was a manager of the White Sox in the 80s before any of us were even around. So um, I would say that's the reason why he's still there now. I think in other circumstances, and if you had somebody um, that didn't have that former relationship he would have already been gone and it would have been like as quick as the Beltron getting hired by the Mets uh sorry Mac but uh and then leaving you got a good manager there now anyway so um they and then that would be as quick as that was I think it's literally the own the only thing that's saving LaRusso's job right now is um literally the fact that he has a former relationship and he's very buddy buddy with Jerry Reinsdorf that that's why I think he's still there and he's probably going to be there by the beginning of the season. I personally thought, though, how Max said it was the wrong hire. I don't think they should have hired anybody because you see from the AL Manager of the Year, which we'll get to later, one of the nominees is Rick Renteria. You got rid of your guy after his best season and then hire somebody that you know is going to be bad PR. That makes zero sense. So, yeah, I, I honestly have no idea what they're doing, to be honest. Yeah, so my thing with it is that, <clears throat> what, for one thing, uh, Larissa trying to sound like he's Hulk Hogan by going, let me tell you something, brother. But with with this hire, like, again, I, do, I know that Larissa is go, probably going to be a Hall of Famer. He has all this stuff. The one thing with Larissa is that it's shown right now that he's had problems and he's just going to continue to have these problems. And if you're going to go forward with it, you one, you got to accept that this is what you got, and then you're going to have to deal with the consequences, or just say, is it, or just say, all right, you know, cut our losses right now. And I agree that maybe this wasn't the best hire, but I don't care if you're a Hall of Famer. If you can't help me win now, then there's no point for you. And right now, the right now, I think the White Sox need to take a good hard look at what they're doing because he also on top of it they let go rick renteria who got them to the postseason and replaced it with tony la Russa with i understand the idea behind it i don't think i understand fully the it's like the execution of it, i should say and for it now with the white Sox, they i think this is grounds to fire la Russa, but I don't think they're going to do it. I think they're going to try and stick with it and say, you know what, he's had problems, but he's good at managing a baseball team. Do I think it's the right decision? No. I think that what they need to be doing is just cut the losses, 
and move forward with another established name if they can because they're a good team and a lot of managers would like to manage the White Sox with their good young core that they've got. So from that, all Alex, of this is really just a big, big mess. Alex, I was going to say the one thing you said, though, you kind of saw the principle of making a move. That's where, like, me and you differ because I didn't see the principle of making a move and then the uh, MLB kind of doubled up my take on didn't see the principal making a move because they man- they nominated their damn manager for the manager of the year. So, mm-hmm. like, I feel like he was building good. Everybody was complimenting the way Renteria was doing player-wise, how they were growing relationships with him since he came over from the uh, Cubbies, um, which now he obviously got fired, one of the only managers to ever get fired by both Chicago teams. Um, but uh, he, I think he should still honestly – have been there unless if they were going to go with somebody that had the experience that wasn't going to bring the bad PR, which still wouldn't have been AJ Hinch. So like, that's why I feel they screwed it up in the beginning. And now it's just getting worse and worse as time goes on and not better. It is. I agree with that. My thing with it right now is that I like the, the idea that I like here is when you have all the pieces, you know, that the player core, is ready to go, but you're not 100% sure at the manager, it's better to try and take, I think it's better to, to try and take action immediately than to wait it out because then, then at that point, you don't know what's going to happen in a year's time or two years' time. So that's why I mean I understand the principle of it, is that, okay, you know what? We don't know if Rick Renteria is the right guy. We have a guy that has been to the dance. We have a guy that has managed big league teams you know, let's go with the quote-unquote proven commodity. Is there any such thing truly as a proven commodity? No. That's why I say I understand it in principle, but don't like it. Because I don't think it really is the right move. And now I think it's starting to prove even more so that it's the right, not the right move. And Rick Renteria, I think, is going to find somewhere and get himself still a good position. Because I agree with you. Even baseball says, are you sure you want to let go of Rick? You did a really good job. I'm like, yeah, we're sure. We want LaRusso. Are, are you sure this this guy brought you to the playoffs for the first time in a while? And, uh, you, you know, all your young guys know him, Larusa. And I'm like, I, so that's what I'm saying. I get the idea. I get the concept. But horrible execution for what I'm saying. Yeah. Well, I don't. And, and to add on, it, it maybe it's just Stroman, but I feel like Larusa's White Sox were kind of a hot commodity talking about getting some of these bigger free agents. And Stroman came out, whether it was yesterday or today, saying free agent Marcus Stroman had, says no amount of money could get him to play for the White Sox after they hired Tony La Russa. So maybe it's just Stroman. But I, I have to think if you're a young free agent and you're looking at that White Sox organization, do you consider that you don't want to play for Tony La Russa? Because obviously Stroman is. Guys like Bauer were connected with him. Uh, Lindor was connected in trade talks. I mean, obviously they were – bubbling. I don't know if anything was going to come out of it, but there were players that were rumored to go to the White Sox that I just don't know will want to play there anymore. And I think that's more grounds to fire than obviously, well, obviously the DUI is troublesome, but if the White Sox knew about it, the grounds to fire would come from you losing out on some of these bigger name free agents when you're probably a, a guy or two away from taking that next step into World Series contention rather than just playoff contention. But man, I, I Hire is going to bite them. And don't get me wrong. I get he's proven, but I think it's going to bite them. I, I just, I, I'm, I'm not a fan. And I agree with you, Cole. I 100% agree with every, yeah. I literally T for T 
um, what you just said, I agree with, because it's going to bite them. And why get a guy that is past his uh, time? Um, it doesn't make sense, but it happens. So now we'll see what happens. And 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 I and I'm going to make a cross sport comparison here. You look at what the Toronto Raptors did a couple years ago. They had the coach of the year, Dwayne Casey. Now, obviously, we don't know if Rick Renteria is going to be manager of the year, but he was nominated, like you said, Joey, Alex. I what. They they fired their coach of the year, hired Nick Nurse, and obviously they added Kawhi Leonard, which it's it's a huge addition. But they went to a guy that was within the system. He uh, embraced analytics with Nick Nurse, and they won the title. Now, I'm not saying the White Sox are going to win the title. Basketball and baseball are very two different ideas. But you see that these teams are going younger in other sports, and I just feel like the White Sox went the complete opposite way. And obviously, Reinsdorf is a, is a key piece of that decision but when you do that i i don't feel like any free agents are going to embrace that and i feel like the guys that the white Sox were in conversation of i'm going to keep reiterating this they're going to strike out on them because they i don't know if they're going to want to go play for la russa yeah culture is a big part of everything to bring another kind of sport into this um a similar thing happened with the jackson jaguars not too long ago, where the the culture just was down the toilets, and the management on top of it was bad. The coaching was bad to the point where the NFLPA actually put out a strong note to all of its uh, get all of its contingencies to all of its constituents that do not sign with Jacksonville because of all of these grievances they have towards it. And right now, that is something that is going to hurt, especially if you have some of the bigger free agents in this class going out and saying, yeah, we're not signing with you because of this. We're not going to sign with you because of this. Because at that point, then you can start to get a bit of a hive mind going on of between all the players saying, oh, we're not going to sign with you because of this now. Oh, they're not going to sign here? Well, we're definitely not going to sign here. And that's kind of the – that's something that you're going to have to really look at going forward here. And the White Sox, right now, they do have a very hot pan on their plate right now. They need to figure out what are they going to do to cool it off. Are they going to get rid of La Russa? Are they going to try and do some sort of punishment towards La Russa just to say, hey, it's not where we want to be? What are they going to do in order to cool down what's going on? Because right now, they are one of the hotter teams in all of baseball, and you don't want this scandal ruining that. You finally have built this core after a very, very, very long rebuild. Now, at least try to make something work with it. You've got you've to find a way to act quickly here. I agree, and, and I don't. Uh, it'd be shock to see them fired I, if they pull a Beltron where they just get him in an offseason and fire him before the season goes. Um, obviously, Joe, you brought him up as a Tigers fan. I know it's negative PR, but I'm glad we got Hinch because Hinch has been around a championship culture recently. Now, don't get me wrong. I know La Russa has been around many championship cultures, but Hinch had brought, don't get me wrong, we all know what happened with the cheating scandal too, but Hinch Hinch embraced the championship culture with a bunch of young talent uh, that was just kind of getting into that next step of their career where they're leaping into all-star uh, nominations, award nominations with guys like Springer, Correa, Bregman, Altuve. Obviously, they had the starting pitching too. 
Um, and I'm not going to say the White Sox are, are similar in talent wise yet because it, the word's still out, the book's still out on some of these younger guys. But there are there is a comparison to be made about how that White Sox team and those Astros teams were built a little bit. And I think Hinch stepping into that role probably would have been the the better option. Now, personally, I'm ecstatic that he went to the Tigers because the Tigers are in a in a similar role to the Astros, uh, just not as close to competing yet. But I. I I, I was truly, truly shocked when I saw La Russa get in there and uh, get signed. And now I'd be truly, truly shocked if he's not fired um, yeah. by the end with all this that's coming out. Uh, do you guys have any final thoughts on La Russa, well, or do you want to move into Rookie of the Years? Oh, I was just going to say, just to respond to what you were saying, Hinch, you're right, would have been a leaps and bounds, better, higher. Um, my point was just being, since I never thought they should have got rid of Renteria after his best year, because I thought he was building a good culture there. And in my opinion, he's at least a good manager. I don't know about beyond that yet, because I haven't seen evidence of that. But I think he was building a good culture there. If you bring in someone new, the only thought I had is you wouldn't want it to have any negative shadow over it. That's, that's all. That's the only line of thinking. I had where you might as well have just stuck with the guy that got nominated for the manager of the year rather than getting anybody with any negative shadow. That's the only thing I was thinking. Oh, 100%. And, uh, I believe that uh, Renteria was probably going to get another job in the MLB. Uh, I don't know where, uh, but there's going to be an opening and Renteria's name will be thrown around. Former manager of the year candidate took this White Sox team to the next level a little bit. Um, I, yeah, like you said, Joe, it's shocking that he didn't stay there, but yeah, it all, all it all ends some sometimes. I mean, you see Madden takes the Cubs to the, the playoffs. They put in Ross, and they're kind of floating around that playoff just like they were with Madden. So we'll see what, how the White Sox react with the Rusa. Uh, it'll be certainly interesting. That's certainly, as we said, and keep reiterating, it's an interesting fit. But uh, Alex, I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you uh, if you guys don't have anything left on La Russa, Alex, how are we feeling about Kyle Lewis's unanimous American League honoree for the Rookie of the Year award? So, so I was at my desk watching it, and I just got the notification on my phone. And I was watching it just this whole point. And to be fair, the entire time while they were talking, I thought it was going to be Luis Robert. Because seeing how they were talking, they were just talking about the – well, yeah, Kyle Lewis is great, but man, this is Robert kid. And I'm just watching it going, oh, no, this means that Robert's going to get it. Oh, no. And then when Cal Ripken Jr., again, one of my other favorite players of all time, the Iron Man, goes out and says, Kyle Lewis, I screamed. I will fully admit I screamed. And I was so happy. And then on top of it, when I saw that it was a unanimous vote, all 50 first-place votes went to Kyle Lewis. I have not felt more vindicated than anything for after a while. That felt good. But, no, this kid truly deserves it. I've watched, I've watched these games with him. And at the beginning of the year, I wrote an article here for Overtime Heroics that was called the Forgotten Rookie of the Year. Because for Kyle Lewis, he really was the forgotten rookie. He was a he was the very first first-round draft pick by our uh, GM, Jerry Napoto. And the problem with him is that he just kept getting injured. He had ACL problems. He had leg problems. But when he was playing, my word, he was on fire. I was actually in the stands over at, in Everett here for the Aqua Sox when he hit his very first professional home run. 
and I actually had the net not been there, it would have hit my car, which is even funnier. But I knew that this kid was good, but no one was ever talking about him. No one ever said a word about him because it took him a little longer to get to the major leagues. And then as soon as he does, last year in September, mind you, again, in September, he's put on a call-up. He hit six homers in six days. He's just crushing the ball. And does, and uh, no one is talking. There are a few people that are bringing up a name, but that's really it. They're like, oh, yeah, he's one of the pieces of the future, but he's overshadowed by guys like Justice Sheffield, Jerry Kelnick, all these other prospects in the Marine organization. No one's talking about Lewis. And I almost thought I was the only one. I'm like, hey, you know, keep watching this kid. This guy really knows what he's doing. Then the beginning of this year, when he hits his first home run of the season against the Astros in his first at-bat, I was already sold. I think a lot of people were, too. But then as you watched him play, you're like, okay, this kid is not just a flash in the pan. He has power to all fields. He has amazing defense, which that's another thing. A lot of people don't really know how good his defense is. He has had multiple homer robberies this season alone. In the 60-game season, when you have two to three homer robberies, that's good defense. Plus, as well as being able to cover so much ground out in center field, his defense is a bit of an afterthought. But he led the team in batting average, homers, runs, walks, OPS. Was He was the, one of the best players, not just in the Merit organization and not just in all rookies, but in Major League Baseball. Had one of the best OPSs. And again, this is a kid that's being compared to Robert, which, again, don't get me wrong. Luis Robert is going to be a very good player for a very long time. But at this one, Kyle Lewis just showed out this season where Robert dripped off in the last month of the season. Kyle Lewis was hot the entire way through. And one of the reasons why the Mariners, who, again, are still kind of just in that last stage of the rebuild, are still not a very like good baseball team at the exact moment why they were in playoff hopes up until the last couple weeks of the season this kid is good and he's going to continue to be good as long as he stays healthy which is the main problem with him for kyle lewis if he could stay healthy he looks another grippy and i'm not even like i i know that's a really high bar to fill but watching him play he has the swagger he has the ability. Watching him hit, it looks – the ball just explodes off of his bat. Watching him feel the position, that home run that he robbed against – I think it was – against the A's, excuse me. It's Ramon Laureano. That home run, his glove, his arm itself cleared about two feet over the wall. He just snagged that baseball. So seeing him do this, he – Everyone, including like Mariner beat writers, are saying that he is showing flashes of Griffey. And if he can even get to 50% of those kind of expectations, you're going to have one heck of a baseball player. I'm glad you brought up Jared Kalanick. Um, I've got, pers- I don't want to say, I've played him, I've pitched against Jared Kalanick before. He played in uh, my area growing up. And uh, don't get me wrong, I hung a slider and I think the ball's still going. But, <laughs> um, but I was thinking you drink water on that one, and I almost yeah, had the water yeah. go all over my computer yeah. screen. But uh, but he's he, he's gonna be special, and I, I know he was traded from your Mets, Mac. But 
what I want to ask is, is do the Mariners have a chance to, to have back-to-back Rookie of the Years uh, with him and Kellenic? And I, I personally, I haven't seen any reason why not. Um, all the footage, all the highlight tapes, all the workout videos show that Kellenic is going to be the real deal, and him and Lewis are going to anchor an outfield. But um, I want to ask you, as the as a Mariners uh, fan, is that is there any validity in that? Um, there is. A well, wait, was that directed? Oh, yeah, sorry. Was that yeah, directed at me or Alex? <laughs> well, well, both of you. I mean, Kalanick, Kalanick was your your baby in New York, but Alex um, is the Mariners fan here. I was just wondering if there's a chance that he could Mariners could have back to back Rookie of the Years. So I I'll address this then first, real quick. Um, yes, there is validity to it. One of the things that was really good for Kelnick is that there was a chance that they said with some of the people that they could just not play this. They could just stay with no minor leagues. That they could just send it home, let him rest, rehab, do whatever he needs to do at home. But for Kelnick, they let him play at the alternate site, which for Seattle was at Tacoma. And I did get to watch a good bit about what he was doing over there. And what Kelnick was doing over there, he looked like he was leaps and bounds better than a lot of bona fide major league players. He was going to, and one of the things that the broadcasters were bringing up constantly was that he was just demolishing the alternate site games with, again, they were playing every single day, getting maybe seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, even at bats, just to make sure they kept getting the reps in, but watching him play, they were saying that this kid is the real deal. And again, I gotta thank you, Mac, for letting us get for letting us get him. But he he's a player that right now, again, if he gets to play next year, there has been so much hype around Jared Kelly, and I think it's for the real deal. Seeing what he's done in the minor leagues, seeing what he's even done this season at the alternate site. You give this kid a chance to play, and I think if you put an outfield together of Kyle Lewis, uh, Kyle Lewis, Jared Kelnick, and Mitch Hanniger when he's healthy, that's going to be a dominating outfield. I'm, I guess I'm going to throw it to you, Mac. Do you, do you think uh, getting rid of Kalanick for Cano and Diaz, obviously we haven't seen any of Kalanick yet, but would you do that trade over again? Well, you know, I'm, I'm going to be honest. I mean, I've, I've heard so much about Jared Kalanick the past three years, you know, or two years. It's gotten, you know, it gets to the point where uh, Mets fans, we joke that they call him Jared Trout. You know, because everyone wants to talk about Jared Kellenick. Everyone, you know, it, it's just keep, keeps going and going and going. Uh, you know, we can never hear the end of it. You know, you know, the Mets got Edwin Diaz and Robinson Cano, but they traded Jared Kellenick. You know, uh, you know, looking back at it, I mean, I, I still defend this trade. You know, the Mets got Robinson Cano, who, you know, he's still a productive player. Yeah, he's got a ridiculous contract and he's 37 or 38 now. But, you know... They got him and Edwin Diaz, who's coming off one of the best reliever seasons of the decade. So, you know, looking back on that, it's like, yeah, it's been a little disappointing. But at the time, I 100 percent is where I was 100 percent behind it. And honestly, I still defend it. I haven't seen Kelly play a game in the majors yet. So I understand the hype is very high for him. But I mean, I would do that trade again, honestly. You know, the. That's just my opinion, but 
you know, I want to get back to the, the the rookie of the year for a second, which is that obviously Kyle Lewis had a great season, but you know, I honestly was surprised that was a unanimous vote just because you know Luis Robert had so much hype around him coming into this season, and I thought that at least one voter, you know, because Robert got a gold glove this year, I thought at least one voter was going to give a vote to Robert, like a first place vote. But no, I think they got it right. You know, maybe if the season ended in August, Robert was going to win it. But Robert, you know, it's interesting because both Lewis and Robert kind of tailed off in September. You know, Kyle Lewis only had a 550 OPS in September, but Robert only had a 409 OPS in September and only hit one homer in September. So you know, I think they made the right decision. I think Lewis has a bright future ahead of him. And, you know, I, I can't wait to see him keep playing. And I know I was just, you know, saying my thing on Kellenic, but if they were to run that outfield the way they're expected to, I, I would be very happy for them. You know, I, I have a soft spot for the Mariners. And, uh, you know, I'm looking forward to seeing those guys play together. Yeah, I was going to say, um, to touch on what they said, um, Lewis deserved to um... – when it, I was surprised, like Max said, it was unanimous because that's just not common when you have another guy that's so hyped up like uh, Mac hinted at so perfectly. I also think it's because the pitcher, unlike uh, Williams in the NL, who ended up winning that we'll get to, didn't ignite himself over, above, and beyond. In the last 12 games, Javier's stats, the last 12 appearances he had were really good, but they weren't like ridiculous to the magnitude of our NL winner, so he wasn't going to win the award. So it was obviously going to stay with Lewis, who still had Homer and RBI production in the last month over Robert, who dipped off more than he did. So um, that's uh, that's the right call. I agree with uh, exactly what they said. I also think on that Kalinic trade, from seeing Steve Cohen say he basically just doesn't want to talk about that, that never would have been made if he was the owner at the time. <laughs> Yeah, so if I can bring one thing on this as well. Um, talking about the trade, I would definitely do it again in a heartbeat, obviously. And not even just for uh, Kelnick, but also getting players that have helped also the Mariners in uh, Justin Dunn, who is right now projected to be one of the, the five starters of the future for Seattle, as well as Jay Bruce, who then went on and helped us get other prospects going on. But going back to the rookie of the year for this little bit, I think it was fully deserved, as my 20-minute rant probably uh, showed. But no, I think with I think right now with Kyle Lewis, the number one biggest problem with him is can he stay healthy? Because he's shown that in his career, he's had troubles with it. If he stays healthy, this guy in a few years could very well even become maybe even a uh, MVP candidate. I think that he has the ceiling. He has the ability. This guy, I want to see how well he's going to do in a full season. Because as I also want to say, this whole season, no matter what happens, still is going to have a little bit of an asterisk next to him because it is the 60-game season. It is the 2020 season. 2021 is going to be a big test for a lot of people, especially for Lewis and Roberts, who for Robert had one good month. He had one good month, and then September happened. So I want to see how all these people are going to do, because I think that both these players have incredible talents. Both of these players are incredible ball players. I just want to see how well we get back to regular baseball. 
I think that could apply for both Rookie of the Years, uh, if, if I'm going to transition. Um, Devin Williams won the NL Rookie of the Year. Um, this one, was, I scratched my head at a little bit. I'm not going to lie. Um, I know he had a very, very good season, and the numbers were a little bit off the wall of how dominant he really was. That changeup really proved to be an elite pitch, one of the best pitches in baseball. But uh, the name that I just thought was a kind of stick it in there, and it's not going to be even questioned, was Jake Cronenworth in mm-hmm. San Diego. I, I mean, looking at him, obviously it's a product of a, a very good lineup. You have Machado and Hosmer, who had a little bit of a better season than he's showed in the past few. Tatis was a breakout. Uh, you had a lot of you had a lot of weapons in there, and you Cronenworth. I feel like got lost in the shuffle a little bit. Um, you mentioned that Kyle Lewis out west kind of. Fans didn't really know who he was. You look at Cronenworth, 285, four homers, 20 RBIs, uh, OPS of 831. It's 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 pretty good for a player that's coming in as rookie season. I, I, I don't know. What are your guys' thoughts on the Devin Williams versus Jake Cronenworth? Because I, I could have been swayed either way, but I for sure thought it was going to be Cronenworth knowing the – I thought what the MLB would do. I honestly thought because of um... – Alex, uh, each time we do the West Coast podcast, and then I looked up some stuff to prove his point. He's right. There's usually an East Coast bias with the award. It would more be between Bohm and Williams, but uh, because if you look in the end, Bohm only had 12 less at-bats than Cronenworth, so the whole Cronenworth played a lot more than him, didn't really play since 12 at-bats is not a lot. Um, So... Uh, I would say their stats are very close. It kind of depends which way you want to go because Cronenworth's OPS plus was a 128 with 20 RBIs and a 285 and a 477 slugging and 831 OPS uh, with 172 at-bats. We're at 160 at-bats. Boom had a 136 OPS plus, um, 481 slugging and .881 OPS. So uh, he that you could have won one of those two position players. Normally I'm surprised when it goes pitcher just because it's not normally you tend to see it go position player. I think it's just because Williams went above and beyond what your normal bounds are for a reliever, especially a rookie reliever, like 53 strikeouts in 27 inning and a sub one ERA by a long shot at a 33, a point three three. ERA, and you went four and one as a reliever in that short amount of innings. Like, I think he won just because it was more of a pop factor. And obviously, um, in sports, sometimes we like to sensationalize things. And that was a huge, oh my God, like thing with a pitcher type year. And I think if the year went like Alex hinted at as an actual baseball season, we probably would have saw him balance out as a pitcher and one of the position players win. That's just uh, the way I feel about it. But I do think in the end, this one was the close one that could have went either way, where the AL should have went to Kyle Lewis. And this one was the one that really could have went between anybody because he just had a pitching season that's not going to be replicated for a while from a rookie, especially a, especially a rookie reliever. Uh, I just want to jump in. Well, well, okay. So what I was going to say was first, I want to like give huge props to this entire national league rookie class. This was 
an insanely good rookie group. I mean, you look at the voting, and this was it was pretty close. I mean, Williams narrowly beat out Bohm and Cronenworth, who tied. And then remember, Tony Gonsolin got one first place vote. And then you look at the rest of the field, you know, Dustin May, Cabrian Hayes, Andres Jimenez, you know, my, uh, you know, he, he did well for the Mets this year. And Sixto Sanchez and Ian Anderson both came up, had huge impacts for the Marlins and the Braves. And then you got a guy like David Peterson who had a strong year and he didn't get a single vote. That's just how good the rookie of the year uh, field was this year. Um, you know, but honestly, Williams, I think why... I wasn't really expecting him to get it because he's a relief pitcher and he wasn't even the closer this year. He didn't have a single save. I mean, obviously he had a great year, but you know, they were still running Hater out as the closer. And, you know, the last reliever and there were the last group of relievers to get it, you know, like Houston Street and Craig Kimbrell and Andrew Bailey, those guys were all closers. So I think when I really started to realize that Williams had a shot was when he got given the NL reliever of the year award. Because I think at that point, when you already win an award like that, you are on the right track to win Rookie of the Year. So I, I'm not quite sure. You know, Cronenworth had a great year. He was also very versatile. He played a few different positions. And Boehm, Boehm came up later in the year and also did very well. Um, you know, those were the three finalists. And then Gonsolin, May, Hayes probably had a shot, but he didn't come up until very late in the year, although he was fantastic. But, you know, Williams... I'm not going to say he was undeserving. It's just that, you know, relievers, I feel like, don't normally win these type of awards. So, you know, I thought Cronenworth was going to get it, but I think Williams is a very deserving winner. Yeah, I'm on the same boat that uh, I thought Cronenworth was going to get it. And the fact that he finished third and then he tied with Alec Bohm in the votes. I believe it was, yeah, tied 74 points, sixth first place uh Votes for Cronenworth, nine first place votes for Bohm. The one thing that I kind of give, I want to give a bit of credit for Williams on, is that he came in a very interesting situation. On a lot of teams, he would have been the closer. But the Brewers had another arm. They had another guy that was the proven commodity. They had another guy in Josh Hader. And Hader, again, a very good arm, but he also had a pretty solid season overall. So the problem is that you see what that team has, and they're not just going to immediately go away from the proven commodity. They're going to say, okay, you know what? We have you. Let's, let's see how you do with Hater. Hater's still going to be our, our, the main guy. But the other thing with Williams was that he forced his way into the conversation. The, the Brewers were thinking, hey, you know, do we maybe give him a chance to be, to be a closer? And the problem was, Josh Hader was doing also really good. So now, Williams just has to be, okay, I guess I'm just going to be the next guy, but I'm going to be the best next guy that I can be. And that's what happened with him. For Williams, right now, in everything that he did, yes, he did not get a chance to save because Hader was in front of him. But you put him on a bunch of other groups. I mean, heck, you put him on my Mariners. He's definitely the closer. He's probably going to be your seventh, eighth, and ninth inning guy without bad our bullpen is. But regardless, you see this, and he was put into a very odd situation where the fact of he was good enough to be the closer, he just couldn't be the closer because someone else more proven was in front of him. And that's why I think he does deserve this, because even in that position where he isn't, the ninth inning guy. 
he was lights out. He was fantastic this season. You see what he's done, and you're thinking, wow, the, the Brewers have two closers on their team. They Once you get into the eighth inning with a lead, the Brewers, you're you are giving it up because you've got Williams and you've got Hayter to work on. So that's kind of – that's my take on it is that Williams could have been the closer on a bunch of other, of other teams – but that still does not hurt his candidacy for rookie of the year. Well deserved. Okay, I, 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 I understand Williams is pretty good, and I'm glad you brought up the flexibility thing with him being able to pitch whenever they needed him to. Basically, that's kind of where the the league is headed, uh, Alex. But let's mm-hmm. let's say the Brewers want to make him a closer, and and we're just spitballing here. Does that would you trade Josh Hader if you know that? Williams is going to be this good. Would you consider a a Josh Hader deal to anybody? I'll open um, this to the floor. I I'll just brown my name. I'll say I think first. I would say yes, but I would also look at what you have. You have two elite relievers right now, where you have Hader and you got Williams. That's a very powerful commodity. You, still, you take a look at a lot of the best teams of the last 20 years, and a lot of them have one, two, one, two, three punches even in the relief core. But with this, where you have that kind of flexibility now to be able to say, all right, you know, if you want to, if we want to have dual closer ship, let's take a look at who the three are and let's play, let's let's play handiness here a little bit. And then at that point, as a manager, having that confidence, that peace of mind that no matter who you put in of those two, more than likely the job's going to get done. And from that, I think at that point, it it becomes a big luxury to have both Williams and Hayter. But if you're starting to feel like, you know what, Hayter wants to only be the closer, then you have to kind of gauge that from Hayter himself. And if you think that he's not going to be able to work well in an eighth inning role, or if he's not going to work well splitting time, then at that point, trade him while the it's like strike while the iron's hot. Trade him while he's having a great season. Well, well let's Most not probably. forget. Well, let's not forget where Hater started because Hater did not come up as a closer. He actually came up as a, a very similar role to what Williams did because they had Jeremy Jeffress. I believe it was Jeremy Jeffress at the back end of that bullpen. Obviously, Hater overtook him. And what the Brewers are doing with bullpen arms and developing them is pretty special out there. Um, you look at Corbin Burns is another guy that came up as a bullpen guy now. He's one of their best starters. Woodruff was a long relief guy. He's now one of their best starters. They, they, they develop pitching in a way that is unique through the bullpen, almost similar to what the Rays are doing. Obviously, I don't think it is as good as the Rays. But that's where I think maybe Hayter is considered in a trade because they obviously can develop arms. You need help in the lineup. Yelich can't do everything for you. Lorenzo Cain opted out. That was a big opt-out last season, don't get me wrong. But you signed Justin Smoke. He wasn't as good as you thought he would be. Obviously, that was kind of a, a risk taken anyway. Orlando RC is not the shortstop you panned out to be. The second, Keston Hero is just, just okay for now. He'll probably develop into something. And Braun's gone. You lost Moustakis over the offseason. So maybe a trade for Hater to bolster, trading Hater to bolster the offense Get a young proven prospect, get a proven guy, or get a young prospect just to bolster that offense. Get some help for Yelich. Might not be the worst deal in the world, knowing that you can develop bullpen arms because it's shown that to be that way for the past few years. Uh, I'd like I to think, just well, yeah. go for it. I, because I, I actually was just writing an article. I think it was like a week or two ago about 
you know, trade ideas for the offseason. I said that maybe the Bre- it is time for the Brewers to trade Hater. You know, I'm you know, if you look at it, Hater kind of had a down year. You know, his walk rate basically doubled from the year before. His home rate, his home run rate was once again high. You know, I think it's time to give Williams a shot. And I said that, you know, the Brewers, you know, Cole, you kind of hinted at it, hinted at it. Their roster's kind of in shambles. And, you know, they squeaked into the playoffs and then got just smacked around by the Dodgers. I mean, I, I think this would be the opportunity to trade Hayter. I mean, they need so much to fix their roster right now that I think they, they can afford to trade him, get some, some nice pieces in return. Well, he almost feels like an Aroldis Chapman uh, type, you know, heart throwing southpaws, uh, had their best years in the NL Central. I, I, I'd consider uh, moving Josh Hader. You know, his, his walks have steadily been a problem, and they aren't going away anytime soon. You know, his strikeout-to-walk ratio was 31-10, to 10, three to 3-1, three to one, which isn't awful for a closer, but when you have a whip that's up around one as a closer, that's not what you – want necessarily he had a nine point uh point not point nine five uh whip this year um he's when you're a flamethrower obviously that's going to go away you see it with chapman a little bit he's starting to lose the lose the fastball and obviously haters coming into his age 27th season so he may not be um he, he may still be the guy that we think he is but I, I think it's a risk worth taking much like max said um, there's, there's plenty of names in the trade market, um, that are flying around. There's free agency too. I wouldn't be shocked to see the Brewers make a move free agency. They're off of some money with Braun. Um, so that might be, that might be another option too, but the Brewers are certainly an interesting team and, and what's been a pretty weird NL central the past few years. It's been up in, been up in the air for the past, uh, four. Do you guys have anything else? On Devin Williams, or do you want to move to the Cy Young Award, which I think AL's just wrapped up to Shane Bieber? Uh, yeah. So I, I ask this because I think this is the more interesting discussion here. Who's your number two? Um, for me, um, just to give them some good news and all their disparity right now, um, I would – Give it to Keuchel because he had a 2.1 war and actually carried. The reason they brought him in was to be the veteran manning a young, leading the youngsters along, which is exactly what they the young pitchers also credited him to helping them do. So uh, he pitched pretty well. Um, I would I would go with him, but my my clo- I was I was a toss up between him and my eight. It was tough for me to pick between those two, but I'll give it to Keuchel. Well, I if I could jump in here, um, I don't like the Yankees, so I usually am not going to give stuff to the Yankees. (laughs) Yeah, I I mean, I throwing throwing my bias aside. I mean, my thing is with Keuchel, the so the circus numbers are very good, one point nine nine ERA. But my issue is his peripherals are not as good and. Because of that, it's just hard to give him, you know, we live in an era where strikeouts are a hot commodity and everyone strikes guys out at a high rate. And he only had a 6.0 strikeouts per nine. 
which is like, man, how, how does he maintain such a low ERA while doing that? Whereas I think, I think Maeda would be my number two. I mean, you, you touched on it cold. Like Bieber is running away with this. Like he has it by a country mile. It's not even going to be close. Um, but Maeda, you know, a 2.70 ERA, huge improvement from when he was at the Dodgers. I mean, when people saw that they were trading Bruce Dargradarol for Kenta Maeda, a lot of people thought this was going to be a, a kind of a dumb trade. But he he led the AL in WHIP actually, 0.75, and his strikeout rate went up. He struck out 80 batters in 66 and two-thirds innings. His FIP was actually lower than Keuchel's. And he pitched more innings than Ryu. In my, and so, in my opinion, that is a bit of a, of a deciding factor. So, I think Maeda at two. You know, we have the two AL Central guys running the, the top two. Uh, so, yeah, Maeda, I think, will be second. But it'll be a very, very distant second place. My name, I have a name I'm interested to hear your guys' thoughts about. Obviously, relievers are tough, but we saw Devin Williams uh, get award nominations and a Rookie of the Year award. Would you have Liam Hendricks in your top five, top three? Where I mean, would you would you consider him for uh, a nomination even? I mean, he pretty good year this year. Uh, ERA less than two. Uh, big amount of saves, 14 saves, thir- 37 strikeouts, three walks. That's pretty impressive. I feel like it'd be tough to write him off as a nomination. I'm I'm with you on this one, actually. I like the idea more for Liam Hendricks. I will say it's a little harder, in my opinion, to give it to a reliever as opposed to a starter, but I can definitely see it. With a 1.4 war this season, three, three wins, one loss, 1.78 ERA, 14 saves, 25 or innings pitch. The biggest stat for me is that with 0.671. I think that's extremely good. And something that you definitely can't overlook because he really did come out of it. Is he in my top three? No. Is he in my top five? There's potential for that. I think that right now the real race is still between Kenta Maeda and um, Hinjin Ryu. For, Re- for, for Ryu, I think that for him, the biggest stat that he's going to try to use is that war of 3.0. The, the solid good war. He had a very good season going to a new team. 2.69, a very nice ERA. And a whip of 1.149 is also really good. But then I take a look at Kenta Maeda. The only thing that Maeda does not have opposed to Ryu is the war. The ERA is basically the exact same at 2.70. 11 games, 11 starts, 66. And two-thirds innings pitched 80, 80 strikeouts and a whip of 0. .750. That's outstanding. Do I think he's going to be the uh, the number one? Not even close. We've already agreed. It's Shane Bieber, Shane Bieber, Shane, 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 Bieber, Bieber, Bieber. But Kenta Maeda's put together a very good season. I think he's going to be number two. It's going to be close between him and um, Ryu. But I think Maeda has number two locked up. Agreed. Agreed. Uh, they're just there. I think the argument for number two in the AL Cy Young is much pretty similar to the NL Cy Young uh, award race in which the fact that there are plenty of names that are deserving um, a few obviously stand out. Um, and that's where I'm going to ask you guys the next question, because 
We just we just debated the AL Cy Young number two spot. Who wins the NL Cy Young? Who's your one and two in the NL? Um, uh, is it is it Degrom Mac? Do you, I I all bias aside, I think he's probably the favorite here. Well, I honestly so if you look at the numbers, the three finalists: Darvish, Bauer, and Degrom, all fantastic seasons. Uh, you know, this is going to be a very close race because all three have great cases. Uh, you know, you look at Bauer, he has the traditional uh, ERA. He won the ERA title. He was a 1.73. His whip was 0.795. Also the best in the league. Uh, his ERA plus at 276, which is insanely good. Also best in the league. And then you look at DeGrom who, first of all, his stuff looked like it was better than ever this year. Somehow. You know, it's it's hard to think that a guy who's won two consecutive Cy Youngs has somehow gotten better. But this year he struck out 104 batters in 68 innings, which is an NL best 13.8 strikeouts per nine. His FIP was also lower than Bowers at 2.26. He allowed fewer homers. You know, that's a that's a big deal these days. His ERA was higher at 2.38. And he only won four games because what's new, the Mets offense didn't score for him, really. And then you look at Darvish, who his strikeout rate was 11 per nine, which is lower than both DeGrom and Bowers. But he led the league in FIP. So and he allowed fewer homers than both of them. So between these three, you know, I really want to say DeGrom and my vote would go to him personally, all bias aside. I'm, I'm being honest, like, yeah, yeah, I'm a, like I'm a Mets fan, but at the same time. You know, I think DeGrom would get my vote, but I think, you know, if the voters, I'm I'm not sure how much they are going to embrace the advanced stats necessarily. So I think Bauer probably ends up winning it, but my personal vote would go to DeGrom. And that's understandable. I, I like the reasoning for that, and I agree with you to a point. My thing is that I really like the ERA stat. I know there's problems with it. But I really like the ERA stats. With Trevor Bauer having an ERA of 1.73 for a starting pitcher, that's insane. Then having a whip of 0.795, also insane. And on top of it, he gets over 100 strikeouts. He gets 100 strikeouts, strikeouts excuse me, and 73 innings pitched. Bauer really did an amazing job this season and definitely did a good job knowing that this was a contract year. So now he's going to get a big contract somewhere. But I think that right now Bauer just barely, and I mean just barely, edges out DeGrom. But one person I want to make sure we're still talking about a little bit is you, Darvish. Darvish, 2.7 war, an ERA of 2.01, 93 strikeouts, over 76 innings pitched, a really good win-loss record, 8-3. and three. Again, a lot of problems with win-loss record, just another thing in this case. But then a whip of under one is also really important to try and take a look at. The best starting pitchers are going to have a whip of under one. And you Darvish is definitely there. I think he's at least in the conversation. But I do think that Bauer takes number one with DeGrom taking two and Darvish taking three. I I think you you hit it on the head with the ERA stat. They, the voters really kind of lean that way. I know advanced uh, statistics are kind of making a way in how uh, voting for that award uh, really partakes in and has a role in that. But 
you can't rule out how dominant Bauer was. And me as a fan, I'm kind of rooting for insanity this offseason. I want to see guys in new uniforms. And uh, Bauer winning a Cy Young, he just has that leg up on every other free agent. <laughs> He's already been electric talking about where he wants to go on Twitter, uh, ruling out teams or giving fans hope. So him winning a Cy Young, I think, only adds to the madness factor of it. And that's – I. <laughs> I think that's kind of what I'm pulling for, but I, I do agree. I think Bauer's probably one, and DeGrom's probably two. I, I know Darvish was pretty good, but I I, I think DeGrom was more dominant. Um, I, I That's just kind of what I saw with my eyes, not statistics-wise. I don't have the stats in front of me, but I'd probably have Bauer, DeGrom, Darvish in that order. Well, can I, can I just add one more thing, though, real quick, is that the you got to look at the strength of schedule too. I think I'm not sure how much the voters will factor this in, but you look at the teams that Bauer faced, and he faced a lot of below average opponents. Not many, you know, not many teams in the you know top half of the run scored department and the OPS department he, did he face. I mean, Degrom was facing, you know, looking at the stats. The offensive stats, he had to face the Braves, the Phillies, the Nationals, the Yankees, the the Rays. He faced a lot of really, really tough opponents, and he still put up fantastic numbers. And, you know, I'm not trying to knock on Shane Bieber either because, you know, or Maeda, like all any of the central team, uh, central team pitchers, they all had great seasons. But I think, you know, DeGrom had to face a lot stronger lineups and... I think that if you factor that in consideration, that just makes his numbers more impressive. But, you know, I think the voters will probably end up picking Bauer, but I, I just thought that that's something else that could come into consideration. Yeah, Mac, uh, that's why, which is going to sound surprising since I'm a Phillies fan, but if I had a vote, I would have to put DeGrom at one and Bauer at two. I personally, though, um, would put a vote also I think a guy that should have got talked about more in this award talk uh you Darvish did have a uh very 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 good season but another guy that didn't get mentioned he had a 2.4 war 2.09 ERA and 93 strikeouts and 69 innings pitch was uh Dennison Lamette but because he didn't get mentioned uh in the award thing I would put Darvish but he would be my fourth and if I could put him third he would actually be my third because I just really like how he emerged for the um, Padres, one of the uh, teams that everybody obviously got attracted to this year as an emerging team. So uh, he would actually have been my third, but since he wasn't nominated, uh, I would have to go with Darvish. But because of what you said, strength of schedule, um, I saw from the one article I read and I wrote down of DeGrom at a 1.69 ERA against uh, that tougher schedule where Bauer only played three games against a tougher schedule and had a 2.25 against winning teams. So I would say for that reason, I would put him at one, DeGrom, put Bauer at two, and then if I could, I would put Lament at three, but I guess it has to be Darvish. So. Well, I'm glad you guys are bringing up. I have the game logs for both DeGrom and Bauer up right now, and I'm just going to go through them. Uh, we, don't have to, we don't have to spend too much time on this, but I'm glad you guys brought it up because Bauer saw the Tigers twice, the Pirates twice, the Royals once, and the Brewers three times. He saw the Cubs and White Sox only one time. So take that as – or he saw the Cubs twice, excuse me. 
you saw the Cubs twice and the White Sox one time. Those are the and then the Brewers three times. Whereas Degrom, he saw the Marlins four times, Atlanta twice, Philadelphia twice, Toronto once, Philadelphia uh, and uh, Tampa Bay once. Excuse me. And then he saw Boston and Washington. So there's something to be said about continued dominance against one team, uh, and it's pretty clear that Degrom showed that he had four starts against Miami this year, and he was three and one in them. Uh, Bauer, Bauer, obviously, I mentioned he saw Detroit twice, was one and one against them. Milwaukee three times, he was two and one against them. Well, I, I'm saying the team lost those games. I I don't have the records in front of me whether it was a win or a loss for them. It, I think it's I think it's closer than what we think. Obviously, the Central was more weak than the East, but when you look at the game by game logs, they they kind of played the bottom half, uh, bottom tier playoff teams that that bottom four uh with DeGrom obviously seeing Tampa Bay once um and Atlanta twice so he saw a little bit more of it uh but I I don't know Bauer was dominant he he threw he threw well in the games he was supposed to I thought it's close it's close I, I I can see both arguments I mean then you see Bauer against Atlanta I know it's postseason we can't rule we have to rule it out for the regular season but he seven two-thirds with 12 strikeouts against Atlanta obviously that Partly due to they not seeing him all year too, but it like I said, it's pretty it's pretty close in the in the strength of schedule between them. I'd give the edge to, to Grom, but I I don't think you can rule out what Bauer did. I you know I really like that argument. I really do because it, it kind of almost goes a little bit at that point to a little bit of college stuff where you look at the strength of schedule to kind of look at how well they did. Like, you could say, oh, yeah, this guy had amazing stats, but he was playing against Division Two guys. But, and you can cut, I'm not going to say anybody's Division Two in baseball, obviously, but I think it's a, it's a fair assumption to say that the East Division is a little stronger than the Central one. Where you take a look at the teams that have just come out of those, come out of those sides, DeGrom had a lot tougher people to face. And I think that's, I think that's a decently fair thing to say. You know what? I think I think you swayed me. I think you swayed me. I think I'm going to put Degrom over Bauer, um, but it's still really close. I agree. I what? Either way you lean, they're both good candidates. They're both probably the top two pitchers in the NL. Obviously, Darvish and Lemay. Another name that we left out, Aaron Nola, was pretty good this year. Max Fried was pretty good this year. Uh, if we want to hit on the East Coast a little bit more, but uh, either either way you go. Uh, next up is Manager of the Year. Um, we're going to start in the AL. Uh, names everywhere. Obviously, we talked about Rick Renteria uh, with the White Sox. If postseason whatever was ever included, do you think Kevin Cash lost his uh, his nomination? Uh, I th- I think that even though Kevin Cash made one of, in my opinion, one of the worst postseason World Series decisions in recent history, I still think that Kevin Cash, for taking his team to the World Series, is definitely up there. I think that I would go with Kevin Cash. Seeing what he has done with a pretty young team, with a t- well, not even a pretty young team, but with a team that is kind of been built out of a lot of other people's scraps and then definitely built up from there. I think he's done a fantastic job. Rick Renteria also deserves a lot of accolades for what he was able to do and being able to finally, quote-unquote, end the rebuild. 
for this as well. Charlie Montoya as well gets like gets some work too with that. But I think of the three of them, I think I would have to go with Kevin Cash. I just think with what the with the players that he had to work with, with the team that he had to do with a lot of people could have just written him off and then you talk about again being in a tough East division. I think he did a fantastic job with that team. He really found out how to work with the players that he had as opposed to just saying, All right, go ahead and keep with it. You're riding the hot hands and all that. He really learned how to work a team like that. And Kevin Cash did a fantastic job. I, I would go with Cash. I personally agree. I don't I don't think there's another a name for it. Obviously manager of the year usually goes to the manager of uh the team that usually plays over their head, I guess would be the way to put it. And obviously the Rays really played over their head. A lot of teams penciled them in as, you know, a four to five seed with this new playoff, mid mid tier, probably lose the Yankees in the AL East. And they won the they ended up being one of the top teams in the AL and going on to the World Series. So I, I think you, you can't rule that out and Kevin Cash is probably your AL manager of the year. I agree with you too. Yeah, I think he's the guy that has to win the award in the uh AL, he did make a blunder, but he'll learn from that just as Dave Roberts learned from past experiences. That's why you make mistakes to learn and grow from them in whatever profession you're in, and that's exactly what it'll do. But uh, I agree, took a young team, brought in, they brought in some uh, good veterans, of course, in the Charlie Mortons of the world. They brought over uh, Alex's boy, Mike Zunino. Um, <laughs> so uh, they they brought in some good players there that are high-energy guys, and they just know how to always put the pieces of the puzzle together and from the management perspective and cash nine times out of ten, let's say, normally knows how to use those pieces. So, uh, yeah, I would say uh, give it to Kevin Cash for sure. I'm going to agree. Um, you know, also, the Rays coming into the year, I was very high on them. I thought they were going to have a great season, but all the talk coming into this year was on the Yankees in the AL East, and the Rays with, you know, they don't have a true superstar on their roster. They... They came out swinging and they did not stop. You know, they, you know, they're not going to hit the ball out of the park all the time. They're, they don't, you know, they dealt with a lot of injuries to their pitching staff, but they, they never really slowed down. They had a great year and their, their bullpen, I mean, Cash was fantastic at managing that bullpen. They had 12 different guys becoming, you know, they had 12 different guys record saves, you know. They they had at most Nick Anderson at six. That was the team high. But there's so many different players that they were able to rely on. And, you know, not many people thought the, the Yankees were going to get stopped in the AL. But the Rays, they stepped up this year. And I think, obviously, the, the voting happens before the postseason. And the Rays, they had the best record in the AL. So... I think that Cash, you know, obviously, with all due respect to Montoyo and Renteria, I think Cash definitely deserves this award out of uh, most out of everyone. Yeah, I think that was a pretty unanimous decision. Obviously, there were a few names that uh, kind of jumped off the page a little bit, but Cash was ob the obvious one. Uh, we flip over to the NL. Uh, pretty similar situation. Miami, obviously, they didn't get to the World Series, but Don Mattingly had a young team that had a cheap payroll, really got them to play over their heads. I don't know if any of us really penciled them in as a playoff team, let alone uh, getting into the second round of the playoffs. 
Um, obviously, playoffs don't matter. It's a seasonal award, but Don Mattingly, probably most deserving. Dave Roberts is there, but I, I think Mattingly wins it over uh, wins it over Roberts because Robert the amount of talent Robert had uh, on that roster. The team of destiny again, the Miami Marlins, finally lost their very first postseason series in their history. No, I completely agree with you. I think that Don Mattingly is the runaway for this one, just because, again, the same argument as with the Rays. Uh, Took a team, very young, not really sure what to make with them, but found a way to turn them into a playoff team. And can you attribute some of that to being a shortened season? Yeah, probably, but you still found a way to do it. The Marlins are still kind of a joke. I mean, I, I like my I like the Marlins for a lot of things, but he really pulled out a really good year out of them. He really a, a good manager is someone that knows how to work with his team and is able to bring out the best in them. A manager is the one position where you do not play, but you have probably more impact on the game than anyone else. Otherwise, we wouldn't even have a, an award for manager of the year. But I think on that one, you, Mattingly is good there. I want to give at least a little bit of credit here, though, to Jace Tingler with the Padres. And it's because, again, first-year manager, but he was handed all the expectations in the world. He, was, he had a good team to work with. A very There was a lot of ego on the team, I will say. But he had, with a big team, comes big responsibility. And you know what? I think he did really well with it. Yeah, I was able to take his team to have a fantastic regular season. And the only team that could take down the Padres were the World Series champions in the Los Angeles Dodgers. So I think with this one, I think Jace deserves at least a good bit of credit for not only living up to the expectations when they are astronomically sky high, but for making the Padres as well one of the biggest stories of the year with how electric they were. Do I think he wins the award? No, I still think it's Don Mattingly. But I think Jace deserves a good pat on the back, and he's going to be a good, another good manager next year. Yeah, I agree with uh, both of y'all. I think uh, when you have a team that overachieves in the Marlins, uh, Don Mattingly's definitely going to get the award, and I think he full-heartedly deserves it. I mean, we saw a guy who's now the manager of the Phillies when they weren't above 500 and overachieved still get the manager of the year and then get fired. So, and Joe Girardi when he was the manager of the Marlins. So I think Don Mattingly with this team 110% uh, deserves to get the manager of the year. I think a guy that also deserves credit as well as Jace Tingler is uh, Ross just because of the energy. Um, you had some issues within the Cubs organization, of course, with Bryant with the whole grievance and everything before the season that he had to deal with as soon as he came in. So, um, and you also know Epstein's pretty close to leaving. He's always, I'm here for 10 years once my contract's up, deuces. So that's after this year, I think. So, I mean, they they have some moving parts coming, but he handled that very well and handled the whole Chris Bryant situation well and platooned him with David Bodie and so on and so forth. So I think he deserves a ton of credit for being able to still have a good energy there when also Rizzo, for the first time in his whole career, had some issues with an organization. So 
that he was able to kind of control everything. So I think he deserves credit for being a good manager off the field and also seemingly so. We don't know what goes on behind the scenes, but also very good off off the field as well as on the field. So I'm I'm not sure though if I can give the award to Mattingly. You know, okay, here's the thing. So I'm looking at the team by team numbers, you know. Um Mattingly obviously had to do a lot, you know, with the whole COVID, you know, outbreak. You know, they had to sign so many different players. You know, a lot of players that I had never even heard of, honestly. You know, you, you they signed a freaking, you know, an Olympic speed skater to play baseball for them. I mean, they were just getting like r- random players, you know, to come to their team and they made the playoffs. Yes. However, you look my thing is that the Marlins were kind of mediocre. I mean, they had a negative 41 run differential, which, you know, I'm not sure if I can reward mediocrity, you know, and I get that, like, nobody expected the Marlins to make the playoffs. But then you look at the Padres, who, honestly, the Padres were expected to improve, but Jace Tingler didn't just make them improve. They He turned them into a freaking monstrous team. You know, they... They went from being, all right, maybe they'll contend to, they're dangerous now. I mean, they their offense was off the charts this year. They were averaging more than five runs per game. Their team, you know, they had multiple players with an OPS over 900. Actually, three, they had three players in their starting lineup with an OPS over 900 in Tatis, Machado, and Will Myers, who had a huge bounce back year. And then, you know, you had guys like Profar, who did all right this year, Cronenworth, Trent Grisham, Eric Hosmer bounced back. I mean, and then, you know, this is a team that has always been sellers at the deadline the past few years, and they were buyers this year. You know, they got Mike Clevenger, and they got Austin Nola. They were just, you know, they lost Kirby Yates for the year uh, at the beginning of the year to to his uh, arm problem. But I think, in my opinion, Jace Tingler gets my vote just because they he took a, a young up-and-coming team and made them serious contenders this year. I like that. The one thing that I want to say kind of in uh, against that a little bit is that you look at the pieces that they had beforehand, and at that point, they if they didn't overperform, if they didn't perform really well, then you would have put this on Jace Tingler. Yes, he definitely improved the team overall by being him, but you take a look at the beginning of the season for them, and they had some really dang fine players on that team. You had Machado. You had Fernando Tatis, who has just been exploding this year. You have a lot. You had a lot of really good players, but and they were finally able to buy. Yeah, but on that one, that's also with he was able to do what he needed to do with the team, and he definitely overperformed, which is why I like the one thing that I want to say with Mattingly. Yes, the run differential was absolutely hor- hor- horrifying. Excuse me, but at the end of the day. At the end of the day, a dub is a dub. And I understand that over the course of the season, that gets that matters less and less and less. But the Marlins did win. They won ball games. Were they winning close ones and then getting blown out in others? Yes. But at the end of the day, they made the playoffs. And they made another and they made it past the first round of them too. That isn't just luck. And run differential is a very odd thing because it comes off of you can win. So let's say you have of your five uh, out of five games, you have three games that you win by one run. 
That's only a positive run differential of three runs. And then the other games, you lose by five. Then you have a negative run differential, but you are positive in the win column. So I agree that the run differential is horrifying, and it's definitely a looming of what will happen in the future. But if you have the wins to back it up, then what's the problem? Well, if, if I could just interject one more thing. Please. I mean, I guess the one thing is that we got to remember that over the course of the season, this is a team that lost that allowed 29 runs in a game. I mean, they're, they, they got absolutely blown out in some games. Like you mentioned, I think it wasn't they in towards the end of the season in September, they lost the game 29 to nine. And then they also lost the game 15 to nothing. So I guess you could also, you could attribute that run differential. Oh, they lost another game, 11, nothing in that, that final month. So I guess you could attribute some of that to those blowout losses. But, you know, like I said earlier, I just thought, you know, I wasn't crazy high on the Padres. So that's why, personally, I give it to Tingler. That being said, I think Mattingly is definitely, if not, he, if he's not the winner, he definitely at least deserves second place. Agreed. Agreed. Um, There's certainly, I think those are definitely one and two, Mac. You're absolutely right. Uh, Dave Roberts, I just can't. I know a lot of people are on that train. I just can't reward him for the roster he came into. Uh, they were favorites. They played up to expectations. Uh, he'll probably recognize. He'll probably end up three. Uh, if David Ross, probably I would have higher than him. Uh, no, no love to Brian Snicker from you guys uh, with Atlanta. <laughs> I think he did good. I think he did fantastic. But I also like the idea that right now the two that we have here on the finalists, the other finalists. Um, being David Ross of the Cubs on the National League side. But the one thing that I, the one thing I want to kind of bring up the difference here is that we have two very different man we have two different styles of manager that got to the nomination through very different ways. Don Mattingly did it, did it by bringing out the best of his team and taking a team that was projected to be bad, to be horrible, took them to the playoffs. And then you have Jace Tingler who had a team that was projected to be really good and then brought out even more from them to really make one of the most exciting teams in the MLB this year. The Braves, they did a, they had a really good year, and I think they definitely, he definitely deserves to be in the conversation, but not to the degree, in my opinion, that Don Mattingly or uh, Jace Tingler deserve to be in the conversation. It's fair. That's a fair point. Uh, yeah, so- I think it's... I think it's because we all expected the Braves to be a very solid um, team where, like, if I had to peg who would have won the division before the start of last season, it would have been Atlanta. So I think he didn't have the roster nearly close to the Dodgers. But, I mean, if Soroka didn't get injured, you did have a three-headed horse when Anderson came up at pitching when all those guys were said and done. So... I think he should be mentioned, but I think their roster also speaks for itself pretty good too. So, totally understand that. I just I thought he would be a guy that obviously played to expectations, much like Roberts. But you know, David Ross kind of came in with no expectations. I feel like that's why we kind of have him third uh, over both uh, Roberts and Snicker. Uh, any final thoughts on the NL? coach of the year race or do you want to get into uh two very interesting mvp races i think we're ready to get into the mvp 
voting. I think we've all set our points when it comes to manager of the year. I think with the like, if we just want like overview, for me at least, AL manager of the year goes to Kevin Cash. National League manager of the year, it's really close between Don Mattingly and between and uh, Jace Tingler. I'm actually going to change who I said earlier. I'm going to go with Tingler. For being for managing not only high expectations as a first year manager, but being able to bring out even more than that. All right, no, I, I th- like I, I think I'll probably stick with Cash and Mattingly just because they played over the heads of what many people thought they would. I mean, obviously the Raves are kind of expected to be uh, just above average and in, in the race for the AL East, but probably losing to the Yankees, wild card spot, not World Series team. I think you have to. Show love to Cash for that, so I do agree with that. And, uh, same for the Mattingly, where they were kind of off, written off as probably what many thought would be the worst team in the league. I mean, we had people talking about when they had the coronavirus cases of just disp- just getting rid of the Marlins in general um, off the team. So I've, I've obviously uh, they uh, Mattingly played over, had them playing over their heads as well too. So. This is where it gets interesting, though. Um, two very, very, uh, I'd say, contended races of AL and NL, the MVP. Uh, which do you guys want to start with? I'm cool with either, whatever but you all want. I'll start with the American League, because I, I like the, the guys that we got for the American League race. I'll start in the American League. Am I the only one that has Jose Abreu at number one? No, I, I put him at one two. Just simply, my thing that ruled out it would become a two person race between Lemayu and Abreu because I'm not awarding somebody. The one article I read uh, when prepping for this uh, said Ramirez was hitting 245 up to September 10th, and I'm not rewarding someone with an MVP for 16 games. So then it kind of just became a two man race for me. And I agree with Cole. I would be, I would have Abreu um, at the top because he actually led um, in uh, in um, hits, and um, he had more hits, doubles, homers, RBIs, total bases, and runs than Lemayu. So that's why it's just first baseman. It's not as common. The last guy to win was Joey Votto. Um, which was back in 2010. So that gives you some perspective on that. So uh, we'll see. But I I do have him in first, too, with LeMayu being my second-place vote because I'm not giving 16 games uh, MVP. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm with you guys on this one as well. You see what he's done. 76 hits, 60 RBIs, 19 homers, slugging 617. Though if he has just under 1,000, then 148 total bases. I mean, Jose Abreu was an absolute monster this year. They're plain cut and dry. He was absolutely fantastic. The only thing that I give LeMahieu for is that he had a much higher batting average at 364, which don't get me wrong. That's a very, very, very good batting average. But you see everything else. I really like Jose Abreu just for the pure stats that he brought up. And Abreu's been one of those players that has been kind of up and down, up and down, up and down with the team. Like with the team where there are years where he just looks like an absolute monster and other years where he just looks all right. This was a year that he looked like an absolute monster. 60 RBIs against 76 hits over 60 games. I think that's a very, very important stat line to look at. But he also led uh, the league in 
uh, slugging percentage, what, 617? That's the big number to take a look at here for him. I think right now he had himself a heck of a season, and he deserves the award. And, and I'm going to agree, oh, go ahead, dude. Well, go yeah. Um, here's the uh, thing is that LeMahieu, he so – don't get me wrong. LeMahieu had a fantastic season, and – I get that there, you know, he plays for the Yankees. You know, I don't think any of us really like the Yankees. Let's just get it out of the way. But my not my non-biased opinion here is that LeMahieu, while he hit 364, he and he led the AL in OPS and on base percentage. My one problem is that he played fewer games than Abreu and Ramirez. So, you know, he played 50 games where whereas Abreu played in all 60 and Ramirez played in 58. So you look at the numbers and Abreu just, he finally broke through this year. You know, by that, I mean, he's finally going to be top three in MVP. You know, he's always had, he's had a lot of strong years. His rookie of the year, uh, uh, you know, when he won rookie of the year in 2014, that was his best season up to date probably. But this year, you know, he plays in all 60 games. He leads the AL in hits and slugging percentage and then leads the majors in total bases and RBI, you know. And the other thing that I'll add is that his defense improved. You know, for his career, he's a below-average defensive first baseman. But this year, he actually was solid. You know, five defensive runs saved in 60 games. That's not a small number, really. LeMahieu only played about average defense at second base with zero you know, the guy I'm surprised that isn't on here is Mike Trout. You know, the thing is that Mike Trout, his standards are so high that his numbers this year were a disappointment. You know, only a 993 OPS. You know, his defense was off. You know, he, his war was only 1.6. Like, that, you know, over a 60-game span for him, that's, that's a down year, which is insane to say about anybody that a 993 OPS is considered disappointing. But... I was surprised that Trout wasn't even a finalist, but I think Trout will definitely be in the top five. But this vote, I got to give it to Abreu, I think. Well, uh, I'm giving it to Abreu, too, as I stated. Uh, obviously, we're all in kind of clear agreement here. We brought up strength of schedule for the pitchers, and um, obviously Abreu doesn't. He, in, he was in a weaker central uh, than LeMay, was in the East. But we looked at the Cy Young I mean, Bieber and Maeda, you guys had them one and two. They're both AL Central, NL Central. Hugh Darvish and Trevor Bauer were NL Central. So the divisional guys that he was seeing, he was seeing more aces than he – but, I mean, obviously you're talking about a lot of filler behind those aces for some of those teams, like the Indians. You, I mean, obviously Plesak was okay. But you look at Abreu, he was seeing more aces, whereas LeMay, he was just kind of seeing that – that mid-tier average starter. Um, so obviously Abreu made his made his hay against some of those filler starters, but he was still, I think the strength of schedule probably goes to Abreu too. If we're going to use that for Cy Young, why not use it for uh, MVP? And and Abreu did it in a, in a division that had three playoff teams, you know, the Indians, Twins, and the White Sox, uh, his team, where I think you can't discount that. Obviously LeMahieu, they had 3-2 with the Blue Jays, Yankees, and Rays, but I think I have to lean Abreu just because of the quality of pitching he saw over the Mayhew and the games aspect. That's a good point too, where he was put, he was in every game. He was hitting 
three, four, five. He was in that middle of the order for the White Sox. Where I mean, obviously LeMahieu was too, but that offense in the White Sox kind of hummed this year, and it all stemmed from Abreu. Yeah. Yeah, I really like that argument. That's a very good point. I just had uh, my last thing on that MVP thing, a cool stat I have from the SI.com thing I wrote down was Abreu is only the fourth player ever to lead the AL in hits and RBIs in the same season. The others were Lou Gehrig in 31, Carl Yastrzemski in 67, and Jim Rice in 78. So I just found that interesting to write down and mention while we were discussing this, especially since we all said he should win. So. Yeah, I, I, I think LeMayhew's a very deserving candidate, but I think Abreu's probably the favorite here. Um, shifting gears and going NL, uh, we have another first baseman. And I'll argue to the death, I think this guy should be NL MVP. It's probably between Freddie Freeman and Mookie Betts, and I don't see in any any argument other uh, uh, than Freddie Freeman winning it. And maybe you guys can convince me, but he his numbers were just too dominant. Um, I'm shocked Juan Soto wasn't even nominated, but I'll start at Freddie Freeman versus Mookie Betts. Who do you guys have? I mean, this is an extremely tough decision because – I mean, you look at the numbers, and offensively, Freeman, I mean, he has Mookie beat basically across the board. The only exception maybe is, still, you know, it's stolen bases. You know, you have Freeman, who at 341, he slugged 640. He had a 462 on base percentage, giving him an OPS of uh, 1.102, which is just phenomenal, beyond belief. I mean... He, he had 23 doubles, which was the, a major league best. He also, you know, he drove in 53 runs, which is more than Betts. But then you look at Betts, who actually he had a higher wins above replacement, which I think is due in large part to his fantastic defense in right field. 11 defensive runs saved. I mean, he, he's a great defender, and he's a faster runner, so he'll steal, he'll steal more bases. He stole 10 bases this year. Uh, his OPS was 927. So... You know, it's a super tough decision. If you want to go just purely based on hitting, I think you got to go with Freeman. If you want to value speed and defense, then maybe you go Betts. Uh, Personally, you know, this is a super tough decision. Uh, I'm not exactly sure who voters will go with. I mean, I think Juan Soto is also a super deserving candidate. I I am super shocked Soto uh, was not in the in the top three or at least in the finalists because he led in batting average on base percentage and slugging percentage but then again i guess the nationals were in last place and he only played in 47 games i mean i i kind of want to say bets just because you know i'm not a huge fan of the braves which but all bias aside i think you know freddie freeman he's been he's been one of the best hitters in the NL for a while and he's always in the MVP conversation I think this is the year where he finally gets his MVP you know I I give this award to Freddie Freeman if you're looking for someone to argue against Freddie Freeman I'm not going to be that guy Freddie Freeman I think wins it and here's the other thing I want to say yes we have all the hitting metrics I'm going to get to those in just a second but we talked about defense as well being as good as big of a stat as it is Mookie Betts had four errors during this 2020 season, all of them out in right field. How many errors did Freddie Freeman have? One. 
He had one error the entire season over at first base, which is, I think is, is this is something that gets, that gets looked that gets um, looked over way too often. The first baseman is not as easy of a defensive position as people say it is, especially when you have a lot. There's a lot of chances for errors because again, you have people. Not only are you getting balls hit at you, you also have to field all these other balls thrown by the team at second, third, short. And I don't know if you've seen, but a lot, not a lot of, like, yeah, excuse me, not all those throws are perfect. Really, not all those throws are really good throws. A lot of those times, there are throws that are in the dirt. There are throws that are up over your head. And you have to be able to adapt in a split second to not only know where is that ball going to go, but if that ball is going to bounce, you've got to be able to make that pick and save that out. Because if you don't get the ball on that one, guess what? You just let another guy get on base and took away and out from your pitcher. It is surprisingly a pretty dang hard position to play, and there is a ton of chances for errors, and he only had one error this season. So defensively, he did just fine. He did fan. He did pretty darn well. Now you take a look at the hitting stats. What did he just do? Mm, oh, man, I, I don't know. Um, Let's just say that he batted this season 341 average, 13 homers, 73 hits on the season. You bet you stolen bases with 53 RBIs. And then on top of it, led the league in runs. This guy did fantastic. Also, by the way, led the league in doubles with 23. Freddie Freeman was outstanding this year. He really showed that he is the franchise first baseman. And kind of like what we talked about with Abreu as well, that hitting is one thing that is extremely important for a first baseman. You've got to be able to hit if you're going to play first. And Freddie showed that in spades, having himself a fantastic year on top of it, having an OPS of not just over 1,000, but an OPS of over 1,100 with 1,102. This is a good hitter who had himself a fantastic year. Defense, I can understand about trying to have speed and trying to have all that. But you know what? When you hit just this good and your defense at, a, in my opinion, a pretty prominent position where there is a lot of chances for error, he did fantastic at that. I think right now Freddie Freeman is by far and away right now my number one. Yeah, for me as well, Freeman's my number one. And for me, uh, the stat that uh, I took down, again, which you probably find in my two main sports, hockey and baseball, I do like comparing people to just stats that only a couple people have ever had. In the times that matter the most, uh, Freeman was also the guy that stepped up the most. He hit 423, which is just ridiculous, with runners in scoring position and had slugged 885 in those situations, which only Bonds, Mantle, and Ruth ever have done anything better than that. So uh, I think uh, because of being big in those clutch situations, he also had more runs scored and total bases and RBIs, as uh, Alex was getting at. Um, I think he fully deserves it, and he finally is going to get it, and this is going to be a big uh, thing for him, and it's going to be great to see. So. I just want to give a quick uh, shout-out, though, to the third finalist, Manny Machado. Um, Machado, he, you know, he had a down year in 2019. You know, there was, it was very disappointing. Only 796 OPS. You know, first year of a, a $300 million contract. We didn't 
I'm, I'm going to be honest, I did not expect him to rebound the way he did, and he was phenomenal this year. I know a lot of the talk at the beginning of the year was going to Fernando Tatis Jr. before he kind of tailed off towards the end of the year, but Machado was fantastic this year. 950 OPS, played great defense at third base. I mean, he was he's great. I just don't think he's quite at the level of Freeman or Betts. And I just want to touch one more uh, one more thing about the defense is that I'm not a huge fan of the errors statistic just because it's all human judgment. So, I mean, you know, obviously Freeman only made one error, but, you know, you could have an error where it's like, you know, it's a tough hop at first base or, you know, Betts is going in and he uh, he jumps up to make a catch and just tips off his glove. You know, that could be ruled an error somehow. You know, it, it's it's tough to judge a player based on errors. But uh, I, I understand your point, Alex, about Freeman, how he play, he did play very good defense at first base. But, you know, Betts was also on pace for a 30-30 season with the bat if you're going by a full season. And, um, you know, a lot of a lot of voters will will cater to that. But I think just narrowly, I got to give my vote to Freeman. I just don't see any. Obviously, you've mentioned the 162 game projections for Mookie Betts from this season. And I'd be interested to see what that kind of looked at for uh, Freddie Freeman and a lot of these other guys, too. You know, we talked about it with Devin Williams. Final thought here uh, as we're wrapping up the awards talk. Do you think any of these awards, I mean, I think these awards would change if it was a 162-game season. But do you think a guy like Jose Abreu would keep it up? Devin Williams? I mean, who do you think would kind of crack that top three of some of these uh, awards? Just an open floor question, because I'm looking right now, I think LeMay, who's probably the most consistent in the MVP race. I, we saw Ramirez kind of get hot, but I think it probably, Trout probably cracks. Cy Young, I don't know if Bieber sustains. What are your guys' thoughts? One soda, right man. Now, oh, go for it. Well, no, Alex, you can go, but I, I, uh, yeah, I'll let you go first, Alex. Cool. So one of the things that I, I, I really don't like this whole idea of projected, because at that point, projected means you haven't done it the same word with potential is that you haven't done it yet and in the short season yes we could talk about oh they're projected to do this oh they're projected to do this well if you want to go back in years past if we're going with projected the Mariners would have lost I would have been to the playoffs quite a few times by now because they were projected to go in several years past I don't like seeing projected because we know that baseball is an extremely unpredictable sport Anything can happen in the game of baseball. That's why we love that there's 162 games in it, because anything can happen in that span. There is parity in the game. There is anything can happen. I know I've already said that a few times. So seeing projected, yes, it's really good to see that these players have done well for this long. But as we saw even just this season, Luis Robert, for rookie, one of the cast like, rookie of the year, had an amazing first month and then just fell off the second month. If we just did projected after that first month, then not only would he be the rookie of the year, he would be a candidate for MVP. So right now, I'm thinking right now, I don't like using that projected idea just because at that point you're not doing anything with it. All you're doing with projected numbers is saying, oh, if this happened, this could also happen. I want to see what you've done. 
I'm, I'm going to actually, um, I'm glad you brought that up, Alex, because, I mean, we could talk, or the, the word that projected is one thing, but then, you know, people always talk about, oh, so-and-so is on pace, you know, on pace for, I don't know. I remember in 2013 when the Mets got John Buck. John Buck had a monstrous first few weeks of the season. And, you know, he was on pace to break Hack Wilson's RBI record and hit 56 homers. And then, obviously, John Buck, you know, he wasn't the greatest hitter ever. Completely fell off, you know. But uh, if we were, you know, say the season did extend, you know, I think guys like Mike Trout would have definitely heated up, maybe cracked the top three of the MVP voting. But the guy, I mentioned this earlier, Juan Soto was having an amazing season. And, you know, if his team did better, maybe, he would definitely be a finalist. I mean, he had an insane year. And I think I'm really disappointed that he's not a finalist. You know, I say this even as a rival, uh, you know, rival observer. He is a fantastic player. For a 21-year-old, he, he plays the game the way most veterans do. It's crazy. He's only been in the league for three years, and he's only, you know, he's a little less than two years older than I am. And he's just, he's tearing up the league already. You know, I think Soto... You know, he only played in 47 games, too, which I guess sort of works against him, just like how I said for LeMayhew. So that's a guy, I mean, I, like I said earlier, even as someone who, you know, is a a Mets guy, like, I cannot wait to see what Juan Soto is going to do in the future. Mm -hmm. Agree. I think he's probably behind Trout. Um, I, you know, I'll say this. I think he's everything people thought Bryce Harper would be. And I know that's a bold statement, but I think he's probably going to be the second guy behind Trout for a, a long while now. Um, obviously, Betts is up there, but I think he's probably a top five player. And much like you said, Mac, I, he's probably in the MVP race if this is a 162-game season. So. Yeah, I think a guy, uh, I agree. I think a guy that would have been interesting to – if he kept um, increasing since he really got going um, after a first like week and some change in the regular season was Corey Seager um, into the playoffs, obviously that carried through. So um, he's a guy that maybe could have been in your top four um, as well, um, top three potentially as well at the end of the season where Abreu, I think, still would have been able to win I do think in a full season, uh, Ramirez might have been more deservingly so if he kept up his numbers from that 16-game streak mentioned third, where I feel like Trout, in my opinion, still should have been the third person since he only had those astronomical stats because he had a 16-game streak from September 10th onward. But that's just the way I look at it. I agree. Um, do you guys have any final thoughts? Uh, obviously, we, we, we went heavy on the awards talk today. Um, do you guys have any final thoughts as we head into this hot stove offseason type deal? Or uh, we want to wrap it up? I just want to say that I really miss baseball. I mean, all this talk, all this offseason talk, and even some of the writing I've been doing. I mean, I just did something about free agent contracts. I cannot wait for baseball to come back. I know it's only been like a week or two since the World Series ended, but man, it's just hard. You know, football's only on one day a week, really, for me. I mean, 
I, you know, I'll watch the one game where the Steelers play, but like other than that, I, it's just, it's hard when there's no baseball on TV, you know, I think baseball also, it keeps me motivated sometimes, you know, um, I just, I can, I really hope for a normal season in 2021 and I just, I need baseball back as soon as possible. I'm, I'm with you on that. I really like the offseason just because I really like all the free agency talk, all the trade talk that goes on from all of this. I think that with this season, though, this, I'm just happy that we even had baseball this season because right now there was a lot of talk that there just wasn't going to be a 2020 season, which would have been the ultimate death of 2020. But you see this. And I'm just happy we even had baseball, but I am so ready for a 2021 season. But I'm even more excited right now to see where some of these guys end up signing because then that affects all of the, oh, who we think is going to win, who are the best teams, yada, yada, yada. And I, I love watching it. I just like seeing that surprise of saying, oh, hey, Trevor Bauer signed here. Oh, hey, um, this other player signed here. So I like the offseason, but like you, I'm just happy we had baseball, but I'm ready for baseball to come back to normal. Yeah, I'm also ready. The key word you said there, Alex, was normal for it to hopefully next year be able to come back to a uh, regular season by the time uh, baseball season starts, since it seems like my uh, other big sport hockey might come back in a different hybrid form until they're able to come back in more of a regular setting. So it'll be interesting to see what happens there, but I hope we're able to come back in a normal form next year. And I'm definitely excited for next season. And uh, the hot stove season is definitely going to be uh, the most interesting to follow this year because we'll have to see how much owners want to spend in a lost revenue year. Agreed. And, and it'll be interesting to see. Um, obviously, there was murmurs of a strike that was going to happen uh, before this season. I'll be interested to see if that leads into this offseason. So that's it from us. Uh, heavy on the awards talk, a little LaRusso talk, uh, White Sox talk. Um, as we said, Freeman MVP, Abreu MVP, those are kind of the highlighters. Um, uh, this, as this episode here, uh, we kind of DeGrom Bauer, that NL, uh, AL's Clear Bieber. Uh, any questions, feel free to DM us. Tweet us at, at OTH underscore Cheap Seats on Twitter. Uh, be sure to go give that a follow. We'll be posting our content. We'll maybe do some pick five, some some different type of ideas for this offseason now that we don't have baseball to tweet about. So go check that out. Go check our website out, overtimeheroics.net. We want to thank them for uh, helping us with this podcast, helping us grow. And, uh, boys, do you have anything else to say? No, yeah, I Kyle say Lewis. That. Uh, yes have a great off season everybody and enjoy the uh award announcements hopefully the guy that you're rooting for wins yeah yeah hopefully hopefully we all get our predictions right here too so all right folks that's it from us have a good hump day once again this is oth cheap seats chatter on twitter we are at oth underscore cheap seats we'll be giving you baseball highlights our takes there our takes will be on this podcast going four days a week as we spoke to in the show but uh if you really like baseball you enjoy what we're giving you you should go check out our partners at dugout mugs that's dugoutmugs.com they make mugs out of the barrel of baseball bats it's a great gift for any baseball fan or let's be honest for yourself if you're a baseball fan so once again dugoutmugs.com <laughs> Thank you.
folks, this is going on live album. This is called Under City Lights.
Yeah. And so I will pick one up in my books.